Welcome to the Board of Education, where troublemakers and system breakers gather to discuss how they are dismantling inequity in public education. Calling our meeting to order is Chairman of the Board, Jonathan Santos Silva. He is Doc Miller. I am Jonathan Santos Silva, and this is the Board of Ed. It is so good to be with you all uh, that are listening with us. We appreciate you. You're in our uh, Board of Ed Village. It's awesome to be with you this week, and it's awesome to be with you, Doc. How's it going, man? It, it, things are going great. I'm excited to to mark this particular episode, right? Like mm-hmm. um, we are mid season in season two. We've had some amazing leaders on uh, on the show over the past two seasons. Mm. And for those of you who are longtime listeners, this is the golden girls episode of the season, right? Uh, (laughs) We talked about that last season where like, you know, every, like once a season, the golden girls would sit around the kitchen table and they would do a clip show. Uh, And so uh, we are channeling uh, Betty White and her friends, uh, may she rest in peace uh, for our uh, mid season clip show. Mm -hmm. So that if you haven't been listening all this time, you get the highlights and I will, almost guarantee that you're going to go back and look for some great episodes because you're going to hear some great things. No doubt. For, first of all, may they all rest in laughter. They gave us so much laughter, the Golden Girls. And may our guests, uh, our, our, our board members this week, um, leave you not in, with peace, but with inspiration, with fire. I mean, this is why we, they were selected. Um, to, for those that are new, um, hopefully what this is, is it's like an intro to the buffet. I'll give you a little tasting, a little sampler of the type of leaders that we've had throughout these one and a half seasons um, and encourage you to go back into the archives. They're all up there, whether you listen to us on Apple Music, on Spotify, on whatever, whatever your home uh, for podcasts is. They're all up there and go back and listen. Um, I think what what I'm pretty um, sure you can get us on the professor's radio on Gilligan's Island. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think uh, I think we you can stream us on a coconut if you're if you're lucky. Hey, right, let's keep the um you know the, the, old, t- um, the old TV going. Um, you know, like this is we we there is a there some of what we talk about touches on the topical, but the leaders that we talk to we are so blessed to talk to are dynamic and powerful leaders, and they're talking about issues that transcend uh, sim- simply a moment in time. So to go back and listen, I don't think you'll be um, disappointed. Uh, yeah. Not at all. Especially not, like I said, we are just giving you a, a sampling. There's so many other great leaders from both seasons that you should see, but this will get you going if this is, if you're new and if you're a returner, hopefully, you know, you're going to hoop it up and clap again because you remember how dope they were the first time. Yeah. And I think you'll hear this, you'll hear some of these great insights in a different lens, right? Because obviously you, you listen to them in the moment. Uh, either earlier this season or last season, and we're all in a different place. Mm. And so, so um, we've had our entire board of ed team go back through, comb through the episodes, and say, "What are the moments that that still sit with you?" Um, <clears throat> and and what what I've noticed is the words are hitting different, right? Like they're they're, they're still brilliant, if not more so now, given where we've been over the past. Uh, year and a half and and also to be clear we're using the word leader 
in, in its truest form, meaning these people are leading. We're not saying that just because they happen to be a leader of an organization or a school, these folks are leading with ideas, they're leading with brilliance, and they're leading with uh, change. And so we, you know, a, a classroom teacher is a leader. A mm. student is a leader uh, when, when they're leading, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's important yeah. to call out. Yeah, and so, and with that, it's, there's no better place to start than uh, not only the first voice that was not Doc or mine that you ever heard on the show, um, but also the, the, I call her the voice that launched a, a thousand ships because as some of you, again, the longtime listeners will know, uh, the Board of Ed started off as a little idea and Doc was really like championing, you know, you have an idea, take it, make it real. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was nervous. I didn't know that I, that there was an audience for it. And then Anna Shea, Teach Him Right, came and we did our first interview as more of a practice just to see if there was any fire to it, if any, anything that's any stickiness to it. Uh, and boy, if she didn't knock it right out of the park. Yeah. Let's take a listen to uh, what really shook us when Anna Shay uh, hit her open mic to talk about the coronavirus actually being the disruption that we need. I feel like COVID-19, coronavirus, just the pandemic in general, showed us what happens when somebody, something is relentless in his pursuit to whatever that destination is, right? And so we have air reformers and we talk about reforming this and that. And I always tell people, you know, I I have a a cute little doggy, right? My dog goes out and poop. And if I reshape the poop into a bowl, into a cup or whatever I shape it into, it's still shit, you know? (laughs) And so I feel like that is the story of our educational system. We try to, uh, you know, there's charters and there's no child left behind. There's this and that, like we've spent billions, you know, probably damn near trillions of dollars in reshaping poop you know, reshaping a system that was never designed for the vast majority of people. You know, the system was was never designed for everybody, right? Like, let's be real. And this virus has managed to single-handedly eradicate testing. It has managed to single-handedly eradicate, eradicate teacher evaluations. It has flipped on our head, you know, just three, six months ago, kids are getting written up for bringing cell phones to school, but now it's a hot commodity. Um, and it's just like, my, 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 how we quickly change when we're forced to. Man, I told you, you know, that it was powerful. And Doc said that it was maybe even more powerful second time around, right? When you get to stew on it, you know, yep. steep in it for a second. What strikes me about the quote um, uh, is that not only was uh, Anna Shea calling out what was happening, right? Yep. You know, we're talking about the virus, but she was looking at the ways that it had disrupted schooling and address some th- certain things that in the progressive side of the education conversation, we were questioning, right? Should we be yep. testing so much? Should we be evaluating teachers so much? Are there other ways, better ways, different ways? And you know, those, answer- those questions are still left unanswered, but what it showed was that when something comes in uh, laser focused, disruption and change can happen. I think what strikes me as sad about the quote is some of those uh, adjustments we made to respond to COVID that I, that I had hoped um, would last. I fear that some of the, some of the changes they're already eroding and we're going back. Like, yep. you know, at the end, she talks about cell phones having been a nuisance and now being seen as a powerful tool for access. I, you know, same thing with devices that were handed out. We got Wi-Fi into school, uh, kids' homes, and it looks like slowly we're rolling those back to go back yep. to normal, to get back to what we were used to. And I don't know if that was what we should have done. 
Yeah. And, and I think, you know, psychologically speaking, we, we all like crave comfort, but I, 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 and I see this on the ground in schools and, and, and in conversations that I'm having where <clears throat> the longevity of the pandemic has got people racing back to comfort, to normal. Um, and, and I think in some ways, this, this conversation that Anashe had years ago is prophetic to go, we need to make sure that we're not running back to the old ways just because they're the old ways and they're comfortable. We have found new ways. We have found new things that are actually working. And, and what, we're, what I'm seeing in schools across the country is those leaders who are leveraging the changes that actually had a positive impact, notwithstanding the pandemic, and locking those in, keeping those things in place, and then getting the systems back to quote unquote normal that actually do still work and doing more of a hybrid are seeing more success. Mm -hmm. Because the missing piece here is that kids have grown accustomed to the new normal, mm. right? And yeah. now we're trying to push them back into a box that actually wasn't working for them in the first place. And, mm. and, and the, the, the folks who are running back to normal at lightning speed are experiencing a great deal of tension in being able to, to, to accomplish what they were able to accomplish through the pandemic. And in many cases, they're just blaming it on the pandemic mm. and on kids. Right. And, and, and Kyle Quadros, another season one voice, spoke to that so powerfully about that tension between the normal and what was healthy and right for kids and families. Our kids aren't broken. Our parents aren't broken. They are products of an environment and context that has led them to be vulnerable and stripped of behaving the way that we deem normal, which what does that mean anyway? A lot of people are saying, oh, I just can't wait to get back to normal. We got a question. Was what we were doing before COVID healthy? Because it might've been normal, but if it wasn't healthy and in line with what we understand with the science of developmental theory, then we should want to just create a new normal. And that's the opportunity we have now is that we can create a new normal. The important part of what Kyle was just saying is uh, the centering of the health of our young people, of their, of their families. Uh, and, uh, and I think he would, uh, Add, add of our teachers, right? Yep. We can't rush back to quote unquote normal or what was because not everything that was, was healthy and best. And, and no sooner can we run away from every, all of the adjustments because not all of the adjustments were bad. Yes. You know, sometimes it was a response to, to, to less than the de desirable circumstances, but that doesn't mean that the solution that came from it is only a temporary, right? There are, we saw how um, reoriented classrooms in the virtual space around relationships uh, was a powerful shift for some kids. We weren't just focusing on doc. Did you do your homework? Like doc, yeah. are you okay? Are you well? How is your family? Those things, those adjustments, right. And the focus on engagement, right. Cause we wanted kids to show up. We knew that they had alternatives. Uh, some of those things we need to figure out how do we recreate them and, and sustain them in the, in the more traditional return uh, to, to the, to in-person school. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it is, it's really striking to me on like how we, how we assess and how we interact with people. Um, you know, there are a lot of, there's a lot of biofeedback that we get being in people in the presence of other people. And we make assumptions about their wellness because we feel like we can read that in a room. And so when we were, when we were stuck online, 
we couldn't read it the same way. And so we made it explicit. And what we, what a lot of us discovered is actually people aren't as well as we assume that they are. And now that we're trying to push back into this whole, nor, you know, God, I hate the word normal, um, into what was normal, we're going, we're, we're, we're reacclimating to some, some bad habits, right? right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is, that's so important for us to just recognize, right? And, and, and I want to be very clear, like, that's not, there's no ill intent there. There's nobody out there going, well, now that I got kids in, in, in school, I can control them, right? It's, it's about going, I, I actually was asking questions that were really meaningful back when this was at its height. Mm. I stopped asking those questions. Why did I stop asking those questions? Because the answers <laughs> are still very, very important. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I want to, um, I should have been doing this from the beginning, but if you are listening and you're like, whoa, I want to go and f- listen to the rest of what Kyle had to yeah. say or what Anashe had to say. Anashe is season one, episode two, Disrupt Yourself. So check her out for sure. Yep. Uh, and Kyle, Kyle Quadros, season one, episode three, This Is Your Brain on Trauma. Yep. Um, no, but everything you're saying, Doc, you know, and, I, and before, I before you go further, if you want to know where to look, we're on the board of ed.com. That's the B O R E D of ed.com. You can also check us out on Instagram uh, and LinkedIn at the underscore board of ed. Um, that's B O R E D. We're also on Facebook. So check us out the board of ed uh, uh, on all the, all the socials and the board of ed.com. <clears throat> About halfway through a little more than halfway through season one, we had a decided shift in energy mm-hmm. and it was, it was timing wise, right? Uh, it was around the time where um, George Floyd was killed at the hands of police. We, the video made, had made its rounds. There was just a lot of upheaval. So we, t- we were talking about the coronavirus pandemic and then we get, you know, in, in stark relief, get reminded of the racial issues in this country the racial ill right if we were getting sick physically there's also a a, a spiritual ill uh that was that has been in this country from its inception um and we were really really fortunate to have um i'm gonna we're gonna speak it into existence uh uh, soon to be dr david johns i think he's like all about dissertation or something like that and brother please correct me but we had the dr david johns on season one episode six and now they're burning um who as we were sitting at the intersection of the pandemic and this uh, racial unrest, mm-hmm. he really uh, called us to think critically about our systems, about the structures of school to make sure that we were really serving kids. And he started talking about critical race theory a year before it hit the mainline news. Uh, and we're not talking about fake CRT, which is anything yeah. I don't like, it makes me uncomfortable, but actual examination of structures and practices that are doing harm to kids and how do we do better? Um, and I don't think we could have had a better guess. If, if we shift our thinking, right, uh, and employ practices uh, um, that are anchored in critical race theory and, and, and critical pedagogy um, that have been talked about in the work of Yolanda Celia Ruiz and Chris Emden and Bettina Love and really accept and appreciate that all of our babies are unique learners. And the way that we approach developing IEPs for our babies that have disabilities should really be approached and applied to all of our students because each of them have something that makes them unique. 
Uh, and so acknowledging that and then shifting our practice such that we make space to celebrate um, diversity, um, that we provide language and connections to history and ways of making meaning so that all of our babies feel seen um, and valued and loved is incredibly important. Yeah. Yeah. These, these words have been burning in, in my head since Dr. John spoke of, you know, months and months and months ago. And it, it is, it is eerie to see how he, he not only brought to light the things that we needed to hear, but it's also sad to see how folks who are actually benefiting from the, the systemic racism that is preventing kids from having access to, to strong instruction and deep engagement in classes that, that speak to their aspirations. There is now this sort of militant wing on the other side who are going like, hey, if it makes us uncomfortable, you shouldn't be allowed to say it. And, it, uh, you know, that's, that's a whole that's a whole different podcast altogether to dismantle that. But I think what's really important is is David lays this out in a way that is irrefutable to see when you see. Um, the impact of systemic racism on kids and on their learning. You, you can say we can't talk about it all you want to. That doesn't make it go away. It's here and it's not going to go away unless we do something about it. And I say, do something about it. Like we got to talk about it first. Yeah, but it's time to do. Mm, yeah, no, that's so that's so right. Uh, and I think, you know, David rightly called us to the, to the carpet and, and it's like, we need to, um, approach this anchored in, mm-hmm. in, 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 in what we know works, right? In critical pedagogy, in critical race theory, yes, the CRT, the big bad word. Yeah. Um, we need to analyze what we're doing and, 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 and um, reimagine schools from a systemic, right? Systemic approach. Then season one, episode eight, and now you know what it's like. We had Ron Rapitalo, who really brought it to a human level, right? Because at the same time that we need to heal and reimagine and fix systems, we need to heal and, and reimagine and, and, and fix relationships. Our heads and our hearts are separated because of racism, right? And at some level, what do we do to humanize each other? One of the ways we humanize each other, frankly, is to develop a relationship with each other and be near each other, right? So what are the ways we build community with each other intentionally to get to know each other better, to see that we share a lot of the same values, the same things? And then we want to fight for a lot of the same things. I think ultimately becomes. No, you. Oh goodness! Why are you? Oh my God! Okay, okay. I got to keep a wig on. I'm driven to get to know people, Mm. right, across the swaths, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I could always push myself to do more, but Mm. I think I particularly focus on getting to know really amazing people of color Mm. and white allies. You know, Jonathan, this has me thinking about how you frame the Board of Ed as a village. And I think that's really um, where Ron and David are, 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 are pointing us to go is we have to, we have to coalesce with our village um, to, to make these, the changes happen that kids need. Um, <clears throat> I'm thinking right now of how both of these are hitting different, given uh, something as, as concrete as the don't say gay bill in Florida, mm. right? Where, where, because something makes people who have a great deal of privilege uncomfortable, we are 
people are getting constrained so that we can't serve kids like that. That bill prevents us from serving LGBTQIA kids in an authentic way. And for us to change that, our village is going to have to come together. Our village, this is not something that one person can do. Mm. You know, what strikes me about it, 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 it's like, it's so blatantly about privilege and the preservation and protection of privilege and, and, and pearl clutching and oh, not, not my children. Um, and and, and it, it's so counter, I believe, to the, the instincts of the teachers that, and the educators that we talk to. There are some probably crappy teachers out there that I don't care if they don't like what I'm saying, mm-hmm. but I'm talking to the ones that, that came into this for the right reasons, yep. care about children uh, and want to make sure they put them on track. I'm talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, I am talking about teachers um, like the team of teachers in um, rural Eastern North Carolina that I worked with last year. We're talking about the Bible belt. Mm. Every, all of the, every single one of them was a Christian identified, self-identified as a Christian. And we're talking and game planning in our coaching sessions about how they serve their LGBTQ students. Mm. And this is not me pushing them. This is them coming to me saying, you know, I have this young, uh, young lady or young man who is transgender and wants to use these pronouns, wants us to refer to him as this, not the given name, you know, yep. and, and we're doing that to honor the child and make sure that, you know, he can show up the way he needs to healthy whole. And so this idea that, you know, don't say gay is going to somehow make these kids and these difficult mm-hmm. situations, right. To navigate and support through disappear is unrealistic. And that's why, you know, it's not about that. Right. Because it's not about making it easier for these kids to show up. It's about making it harder for educators to do what they need to do. And I think and it's about political. It's about political oh, points. Let's, totally. let's be clear. Like, like it's about getting votes. And and, you know, to your point, because, you know, we don't want to preach to the choir, but my grandma always said, well, how else do you get them to sing? Right. Like, <laughs> I, think, I think that's true here where where. I actually haven't interacted with any educators and I work in, in urban spaces and rural spaces. And I've not, I've never had a conversation with a teacher that goes, you know, I don't respect a kid's decision, even though it's not a decision, it's a kid's orientation or it's a kid's identity. Um, so, so the, the, like, who's asking for this? It's the people who actually have no skin in the game. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's the people who want to control because this is something that makes them uncomfortable, yeah. even though they're not, they're not adjacent to it. Yeah. And it's hurting people that they're not thinking about. It's, it's hurting the people who are not in their orbit, who don't have the privilege that they have. Right. And, you know, obviously this hits home to me as I, since I identify as a gay man, you know, do, do me a favor. If you're in Florida, roll down your windows, turn the podcast up. So I'm going to say gay, gay, gay. I'll, like, like, you know, <laughs> like I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, allow this to impact kids. And what we've done by these legislative measures is make schools less safe for kids. Mm. And for, and for the, their, 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 their allies and co-conspirators that mm-hmm. are at the front of their classrooms. Right. No. Because 
you know, so now if, as, if I'm a teacher and I decide to create, um, a sacred and safe and brave space for all of my students, I, I'm what's going to happen. I'm going to be fined. I'm going to lose my or, license. Or sued. I, gonna be, I mean, I could, you know what I mean? Like what's going to yeah. happen. That's ridiculous. And, 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 but I think that's what it's going to take. Unfortunately, yeah. it's going to just like with any other movement for justice, it is going to require that some of us with more privilege mm-hmm. are willing to take L's, if you will, take losses, yeah. take hits in order to, to, to just to elevate how ridiculous and mm-hmm. wrong it is. You don't have to like or s- subscribe to a certain way of life or be part of a certain racial or ethnic community or a certain, you know, group or orientation to understand that this is wrong. It's messed up. And, but and, you, and but you, have, you have to have the balls, the testicular or, or fortitude, fortitude <laughs> you know, or the, uh, you know, to be able to say, or maybe on the other side, I guess for the women too, whatever, maybe it's not, you know, I'm, I'm going back to my uh, old attitude ever WWE, but you know, the, the, yeah. the, the guts, you gotta have the guts. So the, yeah, we, courage. we, you have to have, the ovaries or the test <laughs> right right well, either way put them on the whatever, table whatever you got yeah and say uh, not 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 for these kids it's the um mm. it's the it's the slide sidling up to the um lunch counter moment for some of us yeah. it's going to be the getting on the bus moment for some of us and knowing That's... that we may have things to lose i don't think it's going to be as dangerous as it was for previous generations but i'm not trying to make a false equivalence but we have to have the same sort of courage to stand up and say this just isn't right even if it doesn't affect me directly it affects my brother or my sister and it's not right but that's exactly where my brain was going here because you know we always we always say if, if those who don't study history are bound to repeat it well when we are forced to repeat history by those who haven't studied it as students of history we can actually learn and know how to respond right like in this moment we need uh, the 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 protesters who sat in on lunch counters. We need the Rosa Parks. We need the 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 freedom folks riders. Who, for the Freedom Riders. We need folks who go. Yeah, this this is history repeating ourselves. And by the way, I read the book, and and I know how the winning team won. Mm. Uh, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna go into that playbook, right? Because it's interesting that all of the people who have vested interest in passing these oppressive laws. Like, you you know who you are in history, right? Like, like there you have an analog in history, and it didn't fare well for them. No. Um, and so you know now now that we've shifted to talking really about how this all impacts kids, I think it's important to note that that, that was sort of the impetus of this season, right? Mm. We started talking about schools and the humanity with which we we teach kids uh jonathan and i had the 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 pleasure to speak with with uh asher at the 74 million uh and we did a uh, they did an article on the podcast uh after season one and and we had this discussion about school being the sort of industrial model and the power of shifting to an artisanal model, right? Like, <laughs> like when you, when you think about a factory model, it's all about the you know how many units can you produce in a in a whatever. <clears throat> but in an artisanal model, it's all about the quality of the final product. It's all about the quality quality of the experience. And the only way I think to make schools more like that is to value the humanity of kids. And that's why I think Kim uh, Kim Possible. Uh, Kim Neal was a great person to kick off uh, uh, or or to to be early in season two. I have freshmen taking college classes. 
So that's something that doesn't generally happen in private schools or public schools, but we've got some brilliant babies. We just don't tap into the underestimated youth that we serve. But our kids oftentimes have to not only learn in school, but deal with a different level of adversity and exposure at home. So that level of like brilliance, um, their affluent counterparts are not even able to touch because the critical thinking you have to have to be able to navigate the hood and then code switch to walk into a structured school environment is a different level of critical thinking. And our kids, I think, have almost a leg up on some of their affluent peers just because they're exposed to things that their affluent peers are not exposed to. They don't necessarily live in the same type of bubble. They're in a different kind of bubble, but it's not the same type of bubble uh, that a lot of uh, affluent uh, children in, in the U.S. Are, are accustomed to. So that being said, I've got some babies that are coming in here killing their first college class by the second semester of their ninth grade year and people are like oh wow and I'm like yeah they're going to continue to kill it because they've been designed and unfortunately due to the historic racism in our country it's in their DNA to be a survivor and to take on any challenges put in front of them and not only take it on but do it well oh yeah Kim laid it down Kim laid it down. So, and if you want to go back to the full conversation, that's season two, episode two, the many ways people learn. Um, Find those at all your podcast places, Apple music, Spotify. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you can also find links to it at the board of ed.com. That's the B O R E D of ed.com. Yeah. You know, she talks about the fact that for many of our students, for many of our young people, being faced with obstacles and having to surmount those obstacles in order to have a, a full life. It's a part of history. It's, this is a multi-generational effort. And in many ways, when we talk about um, trauma and how uh, intergenerational trauma is handed down, it's in DNA at this point. Right. And yep. so um, unfortunately the mainstream narrative often um, labels and describes our children from a deficit mindset, but I don't know if I've heard of a, a stronger, asset framing of this idea that this is what they're unfortunately this is what they're built for they're going to kill it because that's what they've been designed to do yeah. it's really powerful and i think you know one thing that that has for the past couple of years stuck with me um back in 2018 tntp released a report called the opportunity myth and and it indicated four key resources that kids just do not have equitable access to and the biggest one of that is teachers with high expectations and, and that took a lot of unpacking for everybody when it came out, because if I asked explicitly every teacher, do you believe your kids can do whatever they want to do, whatever they set their mind to, almost every teacher in the world is going to say yes, right? But that's explicit. The implicit issue here is we put those deficits on kids, and what often happens is we hedge and we balk and we say, oh, I don't know if that kid can do that. And so what ends up happening is if we have the mindset that a kid can't do something, it translates into they never even get to, they don't even get the opportunity to. And so, and, 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 and not to belabor the point of that research, but it shows us that when teachers truly take off the reins and understand and give kids the space to run and the space to grow, kids grow exponentially faster, right? And so I think to, to, to Kim's point, 
It's about understanding that kids have unlimited potential. I'm also reminded of a conversation that I had with a young Jonathan Santos Silva <laughs> many years ago in which, you know, we talk about empowering kids. Our kids don't need empowering. They have power. We need to l- help them harness it, right? The you, s- solar power uh, solar power comes from the sun, right? Like solar panels don't empower the sun. I'm paraphrasing Jonathan here because I remember that so vividly. Um, the sun is the source of that power. We've got to recognize that's where that comes from, right? And if, if we operate that way, if we operate going, no, kids have the power. Schools are a place where we help them harness it, where mm-hmm. we help them see how they can leverage that power to accomplish what it is that they want to accomplish. We start to see that, oh, that's really not how things are set up. There's some things we can change to make it work that way. Mm, yeah, that's funny. Maybe <laughs> makes me think, you know, the school has solar farm, right? Like yeah. you know, if we were about harnessing the power, the inherent beauty and dignity and creativity um, and critical, you know, brain power of young people. How, you know, we, we would probably ask different questions and, and land a different am, answers. Um, yeah, I think the other part of it is that, um, you know, the, those those thoughts that we have, the, the biases that creep in when we're like, eh, can this kid do it? A lot of times it's because we maybe have heard of the difficult situation a kid comes from, or we have heard about challenges in a community. And because we're maybe not from it, we be, you know, we're like, well, how, how, you know, how could the child be ready to learn X, Y, and Z when they're dealing with that? And that's the dangerous slope that leads us to low expectations. And I think that's why what Hassan is about to say is so important. Season two, episode five, teaching to student potential, Hassan Hassan joined us and he talks about the importance of family. Um, and, you know, again, the most important role in, in this conversation is the role of um, the families, the young people um, who are ultimately again, the ones who have their own vision for what their future would look like, you know, like stay firm in your, in your own vision um, and join forces with um, other families, other young people um, who want what you want. Um, because, you know, again, this shift that we, we all have to make is to listen to you, to trust you um, and what you want for your own future. Um, and, um, and I think all of the other roles would be so much easier and clearer um, if we again, adopt that posture of, of listening and trusting to you, the families, the educated, uh, the families, the young people. Um, who should tell us what success actually looks yeah. like. Yeah. And that's where we sit. We sit at the precipice of a paradigm shift. Uh, are we the ones who prescribe what success looks like as educators and as leaders? Or do we take the lead from families and students? There is a place for us to share, like, here are all the things that we know people can do. And it's about exposure, but it's not about saying, if you want to be successful, here's the hoops you have to jump through. Hmm. 
Yeah, you know, on a very simple, simple, simple level of illustration, um, you know, those, you know, the, that are part of our village and been going on, um, been on this ride with us since season one. No, I have four children, eight, six, four, and two. And left to my own devices, you know, I have dreams, hopes and dreams for them. However, down to the littlest one, as I see them interact with the world around them, they are interacting with a world that is far different from the one I did when I was at their ages, you know, 36, 34, 32, 30 years ago, whatever, to be at their ages. And so as much as I might hope or dream or even get the idea, oh, you know, I want JJ or Vonica to do this, I, 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 I temper it because there are some of these things that I'm dreaming of won't be there and there will be new things in their place. And I think that, that that's me as a, one dad talking about just my four children. But I think that's the way we need to think about this world for our kids. They are so dynamic and beautiful and complete. Yes, there are things we want to teach them and prepare them for the world. But as they are, they are complete. They're not empty. They're not lacking. They're not broken. And so, yes, we, we do want to have our hopes and dreams for them. But we want to ensure that our dreaming and hopes have enough room for them to surprise us. For them to shoot far beyond what we have in our limited imaginations. And I think we need to be aware of how we frame what what we see as successful, right? Like, this is something that's near and dear to my heart. Both of my parents um, worked their entire careers in the construction industry, right? And the, the, the idea that that is somehow less than being a doctor or a lawyer, is anathema to me because like doctors and lawyers work in buildings that are built and those buildings stand up because of quality craftsmen. And we don't give kids like, like we, we, we create these buckets of this is a suitable job. This is what success looks like. If you're not wearing a suit and tie every day, then you're not successful. Mm -hmm. And so those are old aspirations, right? And those are our biases and that's fine. We can have our biases, but we need to be aware of them. And a lot of times it is those, those minute things. And that's just one of many examples, right? right. Uh, <clears throat> to say, not only does that frame how kids are going to view their passions, right? Like it, like I have no qualms with a kid going, I want to be a Mason. I want to build big, strong things. Well, and learning that skill, and they're gonna make a lot of. They're probably gonna make more money than I do, be honest with you. But, <laughs> but, but, um, but then we we say to that kid, okay, is is being able to create a life of you, a life for you and your family, the important thing, or is it that you have a job where you don't get dirt under your fingernails? Um, and then what we do from from that bias is we we gatekeep opportunities from kids that prevent them from accessing that, right? Right, right. Career and technical education is one of the first things to get cut, right? If we can't do math and English, then we certainly can't do, do you know, trades. Mm. That's... Well, yeah, it, I mean, to your point of gatekeeping, it's we've, we've decided that it's college or die. You know, we're going to get every kid ready for college, but... If we don't think you're college material, well, then you're up Schitt's Creek because by sorry, you already cut the tech, tech and trade. Yeah, because so we are sorting again. Yeah, you yeah. said college or die. So if it's not right. college, 
it's death. <laughs> right, you know, like give me options, degree, right? give me diploma or give me death. Yeah. And too many of our kids are getting left with the death option. Yeah. You know, because and, they and don't not have a path. Yeah. No, they don't have a path to construction trades. They don't have a path to plumbing. They don't have a path to HVAC. They don't have a path to whatever their passions are. I mean, on the flip side of, you know, th- those uh, those trades that are like essential and foundational and been here for centuries, there's a whole emerging, burgeoning class of jobs that kids imagine. Like, oh, you know, social media influencer, that's not a job. Well, you know what? Every time, you know, when, when Ukraine popped off, everybody was pulling up videos of influencers making the yeah. conflict in Ukraine real and irrelevant and, and tangible for people that were not aware. So you're telling me that that's not a, a job. It's not a, it's not, a, it's not something that kids can do. I mean, we just have to, <clears throat> we need to get out of kids way. Yes. The, and that is, isn't that way. it? Like, isn't that it? Like, because here's the other side of this coin. Let's say we go, okay, we're going to make CTE available to every kid who wants it. If we as the as the as the people as the people with power in that situation go, oh, you're a CTE kid or you're a construction kid, you're not going to be a cop. No, that's not our choice. That's the kids' choice. We need to get out of their way and help and and let them pick the road and give them the support to go down the road that they want. And 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 I get that a lot. I get pushback because I am a big CTE advocate for all kids because I don't think we are providing all kids with access to alternatives to college because there's some of us for whom college is just not the thing that, that we aspire to. But then what happens is we go into our control and power mechanisms to go, I'm going to sort these kids. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying kids need those options. Yes. And if a kid wants to be in construction or wants to become a chef or wants to become a beautician, uh, or, 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 or a veterinary technician or a nurse, we need all of that. And we need to applaud kids who go, that's something that I'm passionate about and I want to do. Okay, here are the skills you need to do it. Let me help you out. That's your choice. And if you want to go, listen, I want to be the next Supreme Court justice or I want to be the doctor who finds the cure for cancer, then okay, let me help you get on that road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's it. That's that's it right there. And with that, you know, let's bring this to a close. It has been such Ooh, I gotta step incredible... off my box. <clears throat> no, I mean stay up there, man. Be ready <laughs> for the next episode, right? Um, you know, this is the journey that we are on. You know, this podcast, it's not gonna change the world, it's not gonna change education. But the conversations that begin here that echo the conversations that you, our listeners, are having at home and at school, in your offices. Those are the conversations and the and the associated actions that they spark. They, they can change education. They could change the world. And that's what we're hoping for. If you are a board member, if you see yourself as a part of this, that's that's the call to action today. Um, you've been listening. We all throw, if we all throw a rock, it makes a ripple. But if all of us throw a rock, that ripple becomes a wave. Right? Like that's that's what we need. That's what we need. So, so throw your rock. Throw your rock on a count of three. And let's make a wave. <laughs> and uh, and let's tune in again next time to the Board of Ed. Doc, give, us, give them what they need. Thank you for joining us. Visit us on theboardofed.com. And remember, always stay bored. Yeah. Yeah.